Welcome to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, and I'm joined on this Tuesday night by my co-host, Lando, Matt, and our tech guy, Keys. We got mailbag, we got TFB discussion, we got pour one out, cut them off, we got all your favorite segments. College football rankings just came out tonight, not even not even a full hour ago, and we're going to get into that. But before we do, guys, how was y'all's weekend? Solid weekend. Uh, went to the Egg Bowl in Oxford. First ever major rival game that I've ever been to. Uh, Iron Bowl tickets are normally through the roof expensive. So I cashed in on my student tickets, got to see the Egg Bowl come back to Oxford, the, the Golden Egg Trophy. So that was pretty cool. Uh, had a great time hanging out with uh, some, some guys that go there and uh, even some, some alumni that are friends with my father-in-law who went with me. So it was a solid, solid weekend in the SIP, as they call it these days. Lando, how was your weekend, man? Man, my weekend was great, man. Watched a lot of good football. Wick came down to Georgia and spent some time with us on Friday. And Saturday, we watched a whole bunch of football and went out on the town Saturday night. And after that, I don't remember very much. We had a pretty good weekend going out. Uh, we went to Red Top Brewery Friday night. Wit and me and Lando went out there. And then uh, Saturday night, uh, Lando and I went to Buckhead. And uh, we met with Neutral Snap, who is actually our featured artist of the week this week. So stay tuned to the end of the episode to check them out. But yeah, pretty solid weekend all around. What about you, Wit? Yeah, so I, I feel like usually uh, when I talk about my weekend, it's mostly me talking about like, you know, going out and drinking, having a good time. But this weekend... Uh, it was a little different. I actually stayed in Saturday night for the first time in a long time and uh, watched the Georgia game with my mom, which might sound really lame, but it was actually pretty enjoyable. My family has a whole new setup going on in the living room. Uh, my parents just mounted their 65-inch TV, I think, something like that. It's a pretty big TV, and uh, they got a brand new couch, like a big L-shaped couch. So I just chilled there all day, watched some football. Um, the only thing I really did that was even worth talking about was going to that Red Top Brewery with uh, Keys and Lando. We had a good time. We went over to Otter's Chicken, a hometown favorite. Got some crazy fries, as uh, all us Kennesawians know. Are, uh, they're a must-too when you go home. And then uh, we went and watched The Mandalorian over at Keys's house. We had a good time. Nice to see everybody. Uh, it's been a while. But, yeah, I had a pretty good weekend. Yeah, definitely had a great weekend. But, man, let's, let's get into these rankings because I have a lot to say, but I'm going to let you guys start out first. So obviously, you know, last week we really didn't get to talk about the first rankings that came out because we recorded on Monday and the rankings came out Tuesday. Um, and then, of course, tonight we start recording after the second rankings come out. So so we're not even going to talk about the first rankings. But I know some people had some issue with uh, Georgia being put at number nine. And um, I mean, I you know, like I, I don't have too big an issue with it being a Georgia fan, obviously. And uh, I like seeing the dogs up there in the top 10 not being ranked. Um, I think the AP has them like at 13. Um, even though I probably would have them somewhere around 11 or 13. I'm I'm cool with nine, and, and they're eight. They actually got moved up to eight right now after tonight, after beating South Carolina last weekend, who, you know, probably shouldn't get moved up after beating South Carolina. But but I'll take it. I think it was more so after Northwestern got beat than Georgia looking good against South Carolina. You know, BYU's at 13. I kind of like that because just the fact of they really haven't played anybody. I mean, the best team they played is Boise State with their third-string quarterback, and to me that's not impressive whatsoever. I'm not a big fan of a lot of it, but there's some things I like about it. Matt, what do you think about the rankings? You know, I, I don't have a problem with most of it. I think the most important thing right now is really the top four, and I think that the top four is right. They've got Ohio State at four, which I think is right because that puts them on the bubble, 
And I really think that there's a possibility because there's a good chance that they don't play a, another game and for another two weeks, which puts them at five games unelig- ineligible for the Big Ten championship. And I think that, that if they don't play that fifth game, it's going to make some interesting conversations because a and is going to have to play and beat Auburn, which is always a tough game, even though Auburn's kind of down this year. And Florida's as hot as ever right now. So... You know, depending on how all of the the dominoes fall, I think that the top four is the most important part right now, and I've, they've got that right. And I think with Cincinnati being at seven, they're in a prime position that if they win out and Florida loses again and A and M slips up, that that they could really be in a a big debate about putting in a a group of five team into the playoff for the first time ever. I mean, aside from that, I don't really see any issues. Uh, Georgia at eight, I think, is fair based on the way that JT Daniels has played the past couple of weeks. And Iowa State at nine, I, I find that a little interesting. Uh, but, you know, the they, they beat Oklahoma head-to-head, and I think that that's the advantage that they have there. If there's any year where we could see a, a group of five school get in, I mean, this has got to be the year for them because so many teams aren't even playing half their games. And I, I still don't think they will. Uh, obviously, some of these undefeated teams are still back as far as like 18, like Coastal Carolina. Even BYU is still 13. And, you know, it's cool to see a decent number of group of five teams in the rankings this year. But really, I think you do have to attribute a decent amount of that to the COVID season, just laying waste to the college football season. Yeah, definitely. I would agree with that, Keys. But I think the committee has it right from rankings one through seven. Eight is where I start to have my issues. So why is a two-loss team ahead of a one-loss team like Miami or an undefeated team like BYU, who I understand BYU hasn't played anybody, but that still doesn't defeat the fact that they are undefeated and they look pretty good. Yes, Georgia has lost to the two uh, best teams in SEC, Alabama ranked number one, Florida ranked number six. But other than that, have they looked like the eighth team in the country? I know I'm not a Georgia fan, and I know Georgia fans are going to say, yes, we looked at it like the eight team in the country, but I completely disagree with that. I would venture to say that Iowa State needs to be ranked ahead of Georgia, in my opinion. Georgia could, could be nine or ten, but I just do not think that Georgia should be ranked as high as eight, because if you ask me, Georgia being ranked at eight still gives them a prime opportunity to get into the playoff. If chaos ensues within the top four, within the top seven teams, yeah, I mean, I still think that Georgia is probably the the best two loss team. I, I like when they when they probably got to when they get to eight, they have to say, okay, you know, let's let's look at you know things like strength of record, uh, the chances of winning out, all that stuff. And Georgia, they their strength of record is is pretty darn good. I think that uh, I think they're twelfth in the country according to the FBI. Um, and strength of record, and they're projected to win out like 97%. So I, I think that obviously they're not going to win their conference or even their division. So I doubt, and, and they have two losses. Uh, so I doubt that they, they wither, whittle their way into the college football playoff unless something crazy happens. But I don't know. I mean, I th- I honestly think Georgia's fairly ranked but I think that they're ranked higher because of JT Daniels and the quarterback play that they've got in the past two weeks. 
Yeah, I think one thing that we can all agree on is that Northwestern proved themselves to be a fraud. Yes, we could definitely all agree on that. I'll tell you that right now because... I mean, Northwestern at seven last week, like I understood why they were there because the committee had Wisconsin ranked really high too, and they still have Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin's still 16, and they're two and one, and their only wins are against Illinois, who, I mean, is really not that good, and Michigan, who we've seen is just not that good a team this year. They're they're not playing for their coach. So um, I don't know if I agree with Wisconsin being that high, but I think that's why Northwestern was at seven last week, but... um, I mean, yeah, personally, I think that the Big Ten is pretty overrated this year. Is I think every team in the Big Ten is a fraud. Uh, I think you could say, besides Ohio State, of course, who, um, even though like they looked a little suspect on defense against Indiana, and they've had their fair shares of uh, holes in their team that you could, you could tell they really need to improve in some areas. Um, I would say that Ohio State looks good. Indiana is scrappy i wouldn't say they're good but i'd say they're scrappy but losing michael Penix jr is really gonna hurt them the rest of the season besides that i think you could say most teams in the big 10 are frauds oh agreed the big 10 is so overvalued as a conference it's not even funny i'll give them credit for most years uh like for for example i think it was 2000 might have been 2000 it was either 16 or 17 um, I think the Big Ten was better that year. I remember having a conversation similar to this with a friend of mine who's a big Big Ten fan, and I agreed with him. I, like the Big Ten was deeper, whatever year that was. I'm pretty sure it was 2017 when Alabama and Georgia both made the college football playoff. Which those, I, I think, those were the best two teams that year. But I mean, there really weren't many teams behind them besides like Auburn. I think Big Ten most years, I'd say like five or six years out of ten. May probably probably seven to eight years out of ten is not gonna be better than the SEC. But I think they're probably the only conference that has the years where they could be better than the SEC. But this year is not one of them. Yeah, and um, as we've seen, Ohio State uh, didn't play this weekend, and their game this week, people at Ohio State are saying they are planning on playing that game. But as we all know, COVID has a mind of its own, so it's still kind of up in the air whether they're gonna play or not. If they don't play this week, then they are going to effectively be out of the Big Ten championship game and only play five games this year. Do you guys think that if Ohio State only plays five games, the committee is still going to put them in? So I I think they will uh, because de- depending upon how big they win, I mean, they've won every game this year and they've dominated. Uh, even the, the Indiana game where it ended up being a – a seven-point game. They were in control of that game the whole time. The score kind of fools you on on the the story of that game, in my opinion. And Justin Fields threw three interceptions and didn't have a great game, and they still were in control. There was never a moment in that game where I was like, oh, my gosh, India's gonna, Indiana's going to pull this off. They had their chance, and then Pendix threw a pick six. So, to me, the, the, the committee is going to have to sit there, and they're going to have to say, that they're able to, for sure, without a doubt, unequivocally say that Ohio State is a better team than Cincinnati, and I think that they would do that, even though they have a smaller resume. Um, I know, like, I was looking at some of the teams that Ohio State's beaten, and their records weren't exactly eye-popping, but it's Ohio State. We already said the Big Ten's been overvalued, so it's a big market, and it's going to come down to – and it shouldn't come down to this, but I think the committee's going to make it bring it down to: Do we want to see Cincinnati, Alabama, or Alabama, Ohio State? And at the end of the day, the ratings, the push, 
everything points to Alabama, Ohio State, not Alabama, Cincinnati. Yeah, I saw something uh, that Paul Feinbaum said earlier today that really, really made a lot of sense. So the Big Ten only came back to play football this year. So that way they could have their best team, Ohio State, get into the playoff. So do you think it'd be wise, say, if uh, Ohio State has more COVID um, cases over the week and their game gets canceled, do you think the Big Ten would change their ruling to basically have Ohio State have a better chance of getting into the playoff? Uh, I think they, I don't know if they would change it. I could see them changing it. I don't know if they would change it for sure. It's a hard question to answer because there's not really a situation that we've been in ever where there's been any opportunity for a team not to have more than five wins or not have less than, what is it, six wins? Less than six wins in a season. Because usually everybody's playing 12 games. And like, yeah, here and here and there, you'll have uh, games get canceled. Like, like if, like a lot of times you see in the SEC with like an LSU is playing a Troy or playing like a FCS team, like SEC does the cupcake weeks, those games will get canceled. But like most years besides this year, like you're not going to get games, not, you're not going to get games canceled. You're never going to get games canceled down to only being like six and oh. So it's, it's hard, it's hard to answer that question when there's really not a precedent set um, from another year. Like, like, I mean, like you said, Lando, you, the Big Ten pretty much brought back their conference and decided to play football so, so that Ohio State could have a chance to win because they had a really good team coming into this year. So who knows? They might do it. Yeah, so another thing I heard was um, if this game indeed gets canceled uh, and Ohio State only plays five games on championship Sunday or uh, championship weekend when all the teams are playing in their conference championships, uh, teams in the Big Ten who aren't playing in the Big Ten championship game can schedule themselves against those other teams and effectively play six games instead of only playing five. So do you guys think that would have a different bearing on whether they make it or not? Would a 6-0 a, a Ohio State be better off making it or a 5-0 and Ohio State? I think it depends on who they play. I mean, is a is a 5-0 Ohio State who plays the schedule that they had laid out for them any better than a 6-0 Ohio State who ends up scheduling a game against Minnesota who really isn't, you know, anything special and they, they, they barn stomp them? I mean, is, it, does that really prove that they're any better that, than them being 5-0 and against the teams that they already are? I mean, I, I don't think it does. I think that playing games matters. If you only play five games, that doesn't qualify you enough to be considered one of the top four teams. Texas A&M sitting at five has played seven games so far, and they have more games to play. Alabama has played eight games. Notre Dame has played nine. Clemson has played nine. Okay, Cincinnati has played eight. Florida has played eight. All these teams have, have a better a better record. They've played more games. So I think that should matter in the eyes of the committee. Yeah, I'm with Lando. I think like even if they did play like a Minnesota, which right now I don't think they would. I think they would probably play like an Iowa or an or a Wisconsin. Having that extra game would be massive. I mean, if you're comparing like a say a one loss Texas A and M with a six and zero Ohio State, that looks a lot better than looking at a five five and zero Ohio State and a one loss A and M. Because uh, if you're only playing five games. Like like Lando said, it's hard to it's hard to let a team into the playoff and say they're a top four team when they played five games, and they're looking at their schedule. 
the teams on their schedule that they played so far are nine and fourteen, and five of those wins are from Indiana. So, it, like four four wins, four wins from the other teams they played besides Indiana. So, like it's not like they've played really good teams. And yeah, like Penn State had a lot of uh, high hopes coming in this year, and that game was a huge game. It was college game day, everything. But like as we've seen, Penn State's not the team that they were going to be this year. Like everybody thought they would be really good, potentially challenge Ohio State, and they're not. They're one in what one in four, one in five. So, like, it's I, yeah. I, I don't see how they could let the 5-0 and Ohio State in. Yeah, and I, I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but I just think it would do all these teams that have played a significant amount of games, it would do all those teams a disservice to put in Ohio State if they only play five games. But I'm going get to off, get off that that soapbox. I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you both in, in principle. I just don't think the committee is going to agree when it comes down to it. I think that they're going to, they want to put in the quote unquote unequivocally the four best teams and that they're going to say that the eye test tells them that Ohio state dominated the games that they had on their schedule, even though they didn't play all of them. And even if they only played seven or eight, you know, it, it, it to me playing six games. Sure. You want to reward the teams that played games, but in the eyes of the committee, I think the committee is going to say, at the end of the day, Ohio State is a better team than Cincinnati. Well, and so far, that's what they've already said. I mean, if you look at it right now, Ohio State's only played four games. Like Lando said, A&M's played seven. Florida's played eight. Cincinnati's played eight. Uh, Iowa State's played nine. Georgia's plays eight. Georgia's played eight. Oklahoma's played eight. So, like, in uh, yeah, Ohio State's played half the games as everybody else, and they're ranked four because the committee thinks that Ohio State is – unequivocally better than every team past Clemson. So in my opinion, I think the only way that Ohio State doesn't make it, even if they do go 5-0, and is if Florida beats Alabama. Because if Florida beats Alabama, how can you say that Florida is unequivocally not as good or not better than Ohio State or Alabama for that matter? Because like obviously Alabama is going to make it unless they lose a game before the, before the SEC championship and then get beat by Florida. Because one loss Alabama is never not going to make the playoff. It doesn't matter who they play that year. So, yeah, in my opinion, I mean, if it's one loss A&M, I think Ohio State makes it. If it's 11-0 Cincinnati, I think Ohio State makes it. If it's a two-loss Big 12 team, Ohio State couldn't play. They could be 4-0, and I think they'd still make it over those teams because the committee thinks they are unequivocally better than those teams. But, like I said, I think Florida beating Alabama is the one thing that would keep them out of the playoff. Yeah, to continue with the rankings, I want to give a huge shout out to these group of five teams like Keys did earlier, because to have Louisiana Lafayette, Tulsa, Marshall, Coastal Carolina, who's in the Sun Belt, to have these teams ranked, especially Coastal, who's ranked 18, to have these teams ranked like this is is awesome, especially for these programs who who don't make as much money as these bigger group of five schools, power five schools. So I, I really like to see these these smaller uh, conferences and teams ranked uh, in the top 25. Yeah, I, I, it's really exciting to see stuff like that, especially um, us coming from Georgia Southern and having a some two Sunbelt teams ranked. Um, I don't even know if that has ever happened before in, in a college football playoff ranking. Like, you had to have known, I think we all had to have known coming into this season with the group of five teams only playing, really only playing group of five teams and having to, reschedule all their power five games that they had scheduled that this was a very strong possibility of happening because a lot of years you see teams like at state or cincinnati or ucf or whoever the usually their one or two losses come from those power five teams that they're playing 
there's teams that do usually beat these power five teams like the like Pitt and people like that. But I think these group of five teams give them credit for uh, being in the top twenty five and looking as good as they have. But like with the COVID season and everything, like you, I think I think we all had to have known something like this was coming. Yeah, uh, Iowa State at nine has clinched a spot in the Big 12 championship game. This is going to be the first time they've had a chance to win a conference championship since the the early 1900s. So uh, as as a Big 12 guy, uh, I'm really excited to see them there. But as an Oklahoma fan, I'm a little worried because I have a feeling that Oklahoma is going to end up playing Iowa State in the Big 12 championship game. And as we all know, they beat us uh earlier this year so um i think it is a it's it's great to see another team in the big 12 potentially uh could have a chance to win the uh conference championship other than the the powerhouse schools like oklahoma or texas yeah see i think it's really cool too like especially a team like iowa state who when's the last time we've seen ohio state in the discussion to make a big 12 championship like yeah they've had a couple of really good years with matt campbell but like really good years for them lately have been going to bowl games like being eight and four having winning seasons like potentially finally having that 10 win season and here they are they've clinched they're in the big 12 championship and they've already beaten oklahoma they could i mean i think they have a good shot to beat oklahoma again but i'm a big believer in it's really 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 hard to beat a team twice especially if that team is the best program in your conference and oklahoma is the best program in the big 12 and it's not even close and um so that's why i was kind of cheering for texas to win against iowa state because Texas and Oklahoma already had a really good game, and Texas lost that game. So I think Texas would have had a better chance than Iowa State will have um, if they do play Oklahoma, which I think that is most likely what's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, Iowa State's a good team. I think they're very well coached. Uh, Brock Purdy is really starting to turn it on. Bryce uh, – Brees Hall. Brees Hall has been fantastic this year. Um, I think he's leading the league in rushing yards right now. So, yeah, I mean, it's just really cool to see Matt Campbell get that team going. Yeah, Brees Hall's numbers actually match up and in some in, in some uh, instances are better than Najee Harris's numbers. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of people are talking about Najee Harris, uh, especially Matt, talking about Najee Harris as a potential Heisman candidate. Maybe, like, he should be higher up than he is. And, like, I agree. I think he's a really good running back. And I think, um, like, if I mean, if I were an NFL GM and I needed a running back, I would absolutely take him first in the draft. Not number one pick, but top I mean, he's he's a first round pick. I think he is just because of the way he plays. But like, I mean, like you just said, Brees Hall is leading the league in rushing yards. He's his numbers are way better. Uh, I think Najee has a couple more touchdowns than Brees Hall does. But he's been an absolute stud this year. And um, I, I mean, you could compare him to Chuba from last year, where uh, Chuba was kind of beaten up on some worse defenses. But personally, I think the Big Twelve defenses this year are vastly improved than the Big Twelve defenses we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, and you can compare it to like conferences like the SEC, where the SEC is really having a lot of teams struggle on defense, and the Big Ten's having teams struggle on defense. The the Big Twelve is actually playing pretty good defense, and and Brees Hall is beating up on them. Yeah. So, do you think that one of the reasons Brees Hall is not, you know, his name is not out there for the Heisman is because of the team he plays for? Yeah. I mean, I absolutely do. I mean, like I, I, you, I think you could say the same thing about Najee Harris being talked about for the Heisman as he plays for Alabama. I mean, if Brees Hall played for Alabama and was putting up the numbers he is, he'd probably be number one for the Heisman. But you got to look at that. You also got to look at the fact that he's a running back. And as we've said probably about 100 times on this podcast, the Heisman is now a QB award. It's not 
if you're a receiver, if you're a running back, like you might get some consideration. You might even make it to New York if you're really putting up big numbers like Jonathan Taylor used to do. But you're there's a very small chance you're going to win it nowadays. Like that's why Mac Jones, Zach Wilson's up there, Kyle Trask. Those are the guys who are most likely going to win it. Even though, like, I, I'm I, you could compare Brees, Brees Hall's numbers to theirs uh, if you look at the different positions. Yeah, and I think that's it's it's wild to think about that because it's not like Iowa State is not ranked. Iowa State is a top ten team in the country, and their running back still isn't being talked about for the Heisman. I think if we see Iowa State come out and beat a team like Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship and put up some big numbers, I think he'll be looked at a lot more than he is right now. Like, I don't know if he'd win it, but the, like he's his numbers are really, really, really good. They're not just like, oh, he's leading the league in rushing yards. Like, he's having like a historic pace right now. Like, he could potentially go for like over 2,000 yards, but like maybe even 2,500 yards this season. Like, it's he's having a big year. So, I think if he put up some pretty gaudy numbers – against Oklahoma, we could see him at least make it to New York, but I, I would be very surprised if he won. But speaking of Heisman contenders, uh, what about Mac Jones playing against Auburn? Uh, he absolutely dominated Auburn's defense, who, like, personally, I thought they were starting to look a lot better this year. And I mean, he had just annihilated them. He made those corners and Smoke Monday and those guys in the secondary look like high school players. Yeah, so I'm going to say one thing in regards to that. Um Yes, Mac Jones looked good, but to say that Mac Jones absolutely dominated Auburn is the wrong thing to say. The Alabama football team dominated Auburn. They didn't have Nick Saban. Nick Saban was at home with, with COVID symptoms, and uh, offense coordinator Steve Sarkeesian was, was their head coach. And when I tell you that Mac Jones is a great quarterback, he's really good, but it would be all for naught if he didn't have these receivers and running backs at his disposal. I mean, there were receivers running wide open. There weren't DBs within 30 yards of, of these receivers. I could have thrown him the football in, in, in these cases. So, yeah, Mac Jones looked great, but I, I, I'm not going to give all the credit to him. I'm going to give the credit to Alabama as a whole because they look great on defense and they also look great on offense with all those weapons that, that they have. Well, of course, of course, of course, you can't, you can't say that Mac Jones is the only reason that Alabama won. Alabama's defense is playing lights out right now. Alabama's receivers are playing lights out, but not very many quarterbacks in college football have the ability to throw with the touch that Mac Jones has. I mean, the pass that he threw, the touchdown pass that he threw to Mechie was a good pass. Like it, it, he's throwing to guys that might have a little bit of separation, but he's hitting those passes. Now, obviously, the Devontae Smith touchdown, the first touchdown of the game, there wasn't uh, anybody within 30 yards of Devontae Smith. But he still hit him in stride. I mean, you see a lot of times quarterbacks see a guy get that open, and they're like, oh, God, don't overthrow him. And they end up underthrowing him, and he stumbles and catches it. Mac Jones hits him in stride. Um, you know, obviously, I loved every second of that game that I got to watch. Uh, so I, I had my... My phone out. I'm sitting in Vought Hemingway at the Egg Bowl, and there was a 30-minute difference in kickoff. So I'm watching the Iron Bowl on my phone because, my God, there's no way that I'm going to miss that game uh, any, on any year, even even though this was, you know, I, I was in attendance for another game. And just watching it was – and seeing Mac Jones, I, I normally, even when we had Tua, I never felt comfortable with it, with it, with an Alabama lead. 
in that game that was like, even if it was like, oh, we went up 21-3. When we went up 21-3, I was like, oh, we're, it, it's over. And that's a testament to how dominant this offense is because it makes other teams press early because they, they realize early that it's going to be a long freaking day for their defense. And I think a lot of that has to do – it all starts with Mac Jones. And Mac Jones – I mean, yes, Devontae Smith – John Mechie, Jalil Billingsley even caught a touchdown. Uh, you know, Najee Harris in the running back as a running back. Brian Robinson, uh, the second string running back. They're all going to put up their numbers. But the offense, at the end of the day, runs through the quarterback. And if the quarterback's not able to facilitate the offense, everything shuts down. Mac Jones is the heartbeat, the pulse of that offense. And I give nothing but props to him for what he's done coming in off of the highly regarded Tua. I know I'm going on a rant here, but I am very excited about this Alabama team because the defense is starting to play like defenses of old, and we've stayed healthy this year, which has like been a, a, a knock on wood real quick uh, because that's been an absolute crux for us the past couple of years, uh, losing guys at key positions late in the season. And, you know, this year we haven't done that. So, whew, I'm pumped about the tide right now. I'm very excited with, where, with with how we look. So, is this one of the best offenses we've seen ever in college football? I know last year people were all over LSU saying that their offense was the best we've ever seen. Joe Burrow was the best quarterback we've ever seen. Is this Alabama's team's offense this year just as good as LSU's last year? I would say so, personally. And now I, I, I think the difference is like Mac Jones isn't going to be the number one overall pick as a QB, but I think the continuity that they have on offense. I mean, you, let's not let's not forget that one David Pollock said just a few weeks ago when Jalen Waddle went down that Alabama was done as a national contender. It, the, Bama wasn't going to win the national title without Jalen Waddle, and we've continued to do nothing but absolutely poop on other teams' defense. And I am here for it. Am I the only one who's getting like a little numb to all these teams being like the greatest team we've ever seen? You know, they're the offenses are incredible. It's like, man, I've seen this, you know, year after year after year, especially from Alabama. I mean, I have seen just some incredible defenses or incredible offenses, incredible defenses, teams overall. I'm I'm so numb to it now. I'm not even like, wow, that's a great team. I'm just like, oh yeah, another one. I have been waiting for somebody to say that for a long time. Last year, when LSU was touted as the greatest offense we've ever seen, Oklahoma's offense was just as good. And Oklahoma's offense has been that good for the past, what, 10, 15 years? So, Keys is is 100% right on the money. Every year, we always say this is the best offense we've ever seen. But in reality, we we see these types of offenses every year, especially from schools like Alabama, like Oklahoma, who who can recruit these type of offensive players and put out these gaudy numbers. So I, I'm going to pull our, our, our good friend Chad here and one of his sayings, and I'm going to say pump the brakes on saying this is the best <laughs> offense we've seen every year, because let's just be honest. We see offenses like this every year, and it's hard to say that, oh, this is the best one we've ever seen ever. Yeah, see, I don't want to. I don't want to discredit what Alabama's done this year, especially Mac Jones, because, um, like we were kind of like Matt was just kind of talking about. Mac Jones has better numbers this year than I think Tua had last year, and he's got less talent. Like Tua's talent last year was out the wazoo, but but like 
I don't think this is the even close to one of the best offenses we've ever seen. I mean, I think it's a really strong offense, but I mean, personally, I think Alabama's offense was better last year um, until Tua got hurt, or af- until after Tua got hurt. After Tua got hurt, it was a little bit different, you know. Even though Mac played pretty well, but I mean, look at the talent they had last year. The offensive line was just as good, if not better. I mean, they had Tua, they had uh, Jerry Judy, they had. Oh my gosh, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, who's still on here, Jalen Waddle, who, I mean, he's hurt, so he hasn't even been playing this year. They had guys all over the field. If Tua would have stayed healthy, I think um, you could have said they, I mean, even hurt, Tua kept them in that LSU game when they played. You probably, you could have said that that Alabama offense last year could have been one of the best offenses of all time. But this year, I mean, when you're watching the teams play against these SEC defenses this year, the SEC defenses just aren't as good as they usually are. And I think the Tide are really taking control of that, like not trying to discredit Mac Jones at all, like I said. But, um, but no, nah, I don't think they're one of the best offenses. I think it depends on what a team accomplishes as well. And for me, in terms of who I think is like, oh, that's you know the best team ever. Obviously, when they win a national championship, even if they're not statistically the best team ever, they get that publicity, and in your head you're thinking, oh, they were way better. But I think statistically, teams are getting better and better. It's just we're, we're I'm not as shocked by it anymore. I guess it, it takes something really special for me to be like, wow, that that's a great team or that's a great player because it's just. I mean, they are always getting better, always getting more yards. To me, it's just not as shocking. No, I mean, I'm I agree with you in the sense that it's not shocking anymore. I I think a lot of what you see with Alabama this year is just a testament to finally having some continuity on the coaching staff because there's been so much overturn with offensive coordinators. And now you're seeing Sart there again, instead of having, you know, Brian Dable, and then you have Mike Loxley and then you have, you know, Lane Kiffin. And prior to that, Newsmeyer. I mean, it was like a, a revolving door for offensive coordinators. I think it has a lot to say about the continuity and the coaching and, Overall, have the defenses in the SEC been worse this year? Oh, definitely, for sure. I honestly, and and I've been thinking this a lot this season, maybe having as much talent as Tua had around him slowed us down some because he would try to force things at times because he knew he had playmakers. And, And you could see that in the national championship game in 2018 when we got absolutely blitzed by Clemson. Tua was trying to force the ball downfield. To, to guys like Jerry Judy. And and he did the same thing last year. Not to say that Tua was a you know not a great player. He or even better or as good as Mac Jones is this year. Tua was phenomenal. But, you know, I, I think Mac Jones is a little bit calmer. And even in big games, like Tua made mistakes in that LSU game that the the interception right before halftime when we had a chance to put to put ourselves, you know, in position to make that game really close. And there was a 14 point swing there. Instead of us scoring a touchdown Tua throws a pick LSU scores a touchdown. And then we still only lose that game by five. So I'm, I'm with the pump, the brakes. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll recant my earlier statement. Is it the best offense ever? Sure. No, but it's a damn good one and it's fun to watch. And I'm excited because I get to watch it every Saturday and be happy about it. And you can't steal my joy. Yeah, and on that note of having good offense, Florida's offense is looking really good this year. What are their chances of beating Bama? What do you guys think about that? That's going to be a tough matchup. To me, that's like the LSU game last year where it's going to be whatever defense can step up and make a play. 
the areas that Florida's really good in is getting the ball to, to their athletes in open space and letting them, uh, you know, make plays. Like, you'll see Tony get the ball on, like, a little screenplay or a slant, uh, similar to what Alabama's done in the past. It's just going to be whatever defense can make a stop. Uh, obviously, I hope Alabama wins, but I think that game's going to be pretty close. Yeah, and I agree with you on that note. I trust Alabama's defense more than I trust Florida. So in that instance, I'm going to go with Alabama, and I really don't think that Florida really defensively can keep up with Alabama. After the Georgia game, I actually thought that Florida had a good shot of beating Alabama just because their passing offense, their passing offense is one of the best passing offenses we've ever seen. And obviously, you know, not pumping the brakes on that one. <laughs> just just going along with the stereotype that Lando has been talking about, but... But I mean, they they've been really solid, and, and it hurts me to say because obviously I hate Florida, but they're they're playing really well, and their offense is is really tough to stop. Alabama has had a tough time against offenses that can throw the ball really well. After watching the Iron Bowl this past weekend, you can tell that as the season has progressed, Alabama's secondary and their defense as a whole has improved so much. They look so much better than they did at the beginning of the year, and obviously, I think a lot of that has to do with the young talent on their team finally getting that experience that they didn't have at the beginning of the year um, when they were playing teams like, you know, like Georgia and like Ole Miss and teams like that. But I, now, as of now, I do not see Florida being able to be Alabama. I don't, I just don't think that their defense is going to be able to get a stop. And I think Alabama's defense will be able to get at least one or two just to, just to put the game away. Do you think that this game determines the Heisman race? I think it I plays think it a big could. part. Uh, yeah. Is T-Law still in this to you guys? I think he is because I think his absence in the Notre Dame game the and the Boston College game and how Clemson performed in those games versus how they've played with Trevor Lawrence on the field shows that he is the best player on that team and he is the he's what makes the offense go at a high level. So if they stomp Notre Dame and Trevor Lawrence has an absolute heyday on that defense you have to you I think I think it may end up being Trevor's to lose honestly uh personally I disagree with that I think uh Mac Jones and Kyle Trask are easily the uh top two favorites but I, I think this year I don't think anybody's out of it I think that the way that the people who are going to be voting for the Heisman are going to look at uh the contenders this year is going to be different than any other year because not every contender is playing the same amount of games because usually you can look at the numbers and be like okay like uh, 2018, Kyler Murray had more passing yards than Tua, and he had way more rushing yards than Tua. Like he was one of the top rushing quarterbacks in the country, and he and he was on a really good team. He was playing out of his mind, and and even though Tua had a really really good year, um, he got hurt, and his numbers kind of staggered because of that, and he really didn't get to finish out the year uh, playing his best ball. So. Like usually you can look at it that way, but this year it's just going to be all over the place. You're going to have guys like Justin who's only going to play like five or six games. You're going to have Trevor who had to sit out two games because of COVID, had a Florida State game postponed that they might not even make up. So, I, I mean, I think you could say anybody, at least quarterback-wise, is still in contention for the Heisman. I think that, yes, Trevor Lawrence is still, in my opinion, the front runner for the Heisman because when he was not playing on Clemson, Clemson's team was drastically different, and they were drastically not as good as they were when he's on the team. And the Heisman is supposed to go to the player that is the MVP of not only their team, but of the entire of the entire college football country, every team. So yes, Mac Jones is really good, but 
would Alabama still be scoring all these points if he was not playing? Yes, they would. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Trevor Lawrence is the is the key that makes Clemson offense go. And without him, the offense is drastically much worse. Yeah, we talk about this in our group all the time about uh, Alabama. You know, whoever's at that quarterback position this year could throw 600 yards a game just because, oh, yeah, Matt doesn't appreciate that. I, I disagree with that, mainly because I've seen Bryce Young in that offense struggle. And a lot of that had, I mean, and, and you and people said the same thing last year about Tua. And then Mac Jones came in, and the offense was a little bit worse with Mac Jones in it than it was with Tua. And, and that's just facts. And yes, did we still put up a lot of points with Mac Jones? Yeah, but when you don't get reps with the first team consistently and you don't have the chemistry with your receivers, the offense is going to take a little bit of a stumble. And that's why I always disagree with that. Mac Jones, if Bryce Young got first team reps all the time, would he improve throughout the season? Absolutely. But he's a true freshman and he's not going to operate the offense with the same level of confidence that Mac Jones is. Okay, so Matt, I have a question for you, and I think this his answer will, will be the answer to our questions. If Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback for the University of Alabama, what would these numbers look like? Who 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 would who would be better? Would it be Mac Jones or Trevor Lawrence? I mean, I think they would probably be equivalent because I really do. I think it would be equivalent. That's like saying, oh, like let's take Tom Brady from 10 years ago and put him on a team with better receivers and be like, Oh yeah. Like, like wh- who's going to, who's going to do better? Like give, give Tom Brady, Marvin Harrison and uh, Wayne, what's his name from, from the Colts and who's going to be better Peyton Manning or, or Tom Brady. Like they're both really good quarterbacks. And I think you're discrediting how good Mac Jones has been this year and the types of throws that he's made. Mac Jones is good, but T law is better. I I am not I do not disagree with you that T Law is better, but I don't think that the numbers would be that drastically different if you put ter- Trevor Lawrence on Alabama. All right, so you have you have somebody in Mac Jones who isn't that mobile, but can can stand in the pocket and throw, and then you have somebody like Trevor Lawrence who is very mobile and and can also stand in the pocket and make every throw. You're gonna tell you're gonna sit here and tell me that that the offense would not be better with Trevor Lawrence. It would be equivalent. If uh, between Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence, you're, you're going to sit here and tell me that. To counter that point, Tua Tungvaloa is a mobile quarterback that can also stand in the pocket and throw, just like Trevor Lawrence, with more accuracy. Was the offense that drastically, that much drastically better last year than it is this year? Yes or no? Tua is is not as mobile as Trevor Lawrence. Let, 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 let's get that's, that straight. Let's get that straight. That's just not true. What? That is a hundred percent true. I a hundred percent agree no. with that. No, no, I disagree with that. Tua is like Pat Mahomes mobile. Like he's he's not gonna he's not a run like if they had to work an offense around his running game, they would lose games. He's not that good of a runner. Can he escape the pocket and get some yards with his feet? Yeah, that's what Pat does too. But Trevor Lawrence is a weapon in the run game. He's a weapon. Him and him and Justin Fields, if you ran an off if you ran a triple option with them, they would do pretty well. They wouldn't be studs, but they would do pretty well. And and I'm gonna put my opinion in here now because I get to talk. Trevor Lawrence would throw for 700 yards a game if he was in Alabama's offense. So not 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 knocking on Mac Jones, but Trevor Lawrence is that good. And like, yeah, Clemson has good talent too, but they don't have the receivers Alabama has, or the or the offensive line for that matter. The the I would say they have the equivalent of the receivers that we've got right now. Absolutely. Now minus Devontae Smith, but but did you did you not watch 
what the receivers that Clemson had last year, and they pretty much have everyone the same. T. Higgins is a stud. They have no one the same this year. They lost their two best receivers last year. T. Higgins plays for the Cincinnati Bengals now. That's true. Justin Ross is out for the year. I forgot about Justin Ross getting hurt. Justin Ross Ross is a beast. And they've had guys step up. I mean, they got they got uh they got Powell over here. He went for 161 yards last game. He's he's playing really well. Like they have good talent, but it's not the same talent that Alabama has. You want to know why Trevor Lawrence? You, you want to know why Trevor Lawrence wouldn't go for that many yards? Because they'd be blowing everybody out, and he'd get pulled just like Tua was two years ago. Tua didn't even the year that Kyler Murray won the Heisman Trophy. That is true. Tua Tagovailoa didn't play in a second half until the LSU game, and then he played two series, and then he was pulled out in the third quarter. So when everybody was giving all, Tua all this shit for, oh well, Kyler Murray's thrown for more passing yards. Well, no, duh. He's played four quarters of every freaking game, and Tua hasn't. So. If 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 we're gonna boil it down to that, then okay, that there you go. Trevor Lawrence wouldn't have better numbers than Mac Jones because he would be getting pulled in every second half, just like Mac Jones has this year. And Matt, you just proved my point. He would be getting pulled because he would they would be blo- they would be scorching teams. We already are scorching teams. Yeah, but 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 Mac Jones is still playing the majority of those games. He is playing well into the third quarter. If Trevor Lawrence was on that team, he would not be playing the second half. Let's just be honest with ourselves. I, I disagree with that because the only times that Mac Jones has continued to play has been solely because the other team had been scoring, like the Ole Miss game. I, I don't even know if we punted the ball that game. Like, what, what more is Trevor Lawrence going to do? Score the same number of touchdowns? I'm just saying. We got to move on. Let's go ahead and get into our mailbag. We got our first question from at Coach Kissler. Uh, he wants to know, what does Georgia, Georgia Tech have to do to get to national relevance? And is Jeff Collins the guy? Uh, so that is an, that's a pretty simple uh, answer right there. Georgia Tech needs to recruit better. It's, it's, it's just that simple. You, 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 ha- you have to get the type of players to match up with teams in the ACC, like Clemson, who is going to recruit really well. Um, you have to recruit good within the state of Georgia, recruit within, well, well within the South. So they need to recruit better. I actually disagree with you. Georgia Tech is the 27th recruiting class for 2020. They're 32nd next year, which is better than Ole Miss, better than Arkansas. Uh, And they're just right around the same clip as Wisconsin. Now, Georgia Tech is not the same school academically as either of those, so it's harder to recruit to that type of school. So I think that for Tech to become back into national relevance – they don't necessarily have to win all of the big games. They just have to become more competitive in those big games. If you look at Tech, you know, a few years ago when they were, when they, even when they went to the Orange Bowl, I forget what year that was, but they beat Mississippi State. I think it was 2015, uh, the year that Mississippi State had been ranked number one. They go to the Orange Bowl and Georgia Tech like smacked them. I think what that had more to do with than anything was the fact that Georgia Tech was competitive in every game. And when they lost that competitive edge, and maybe it was the stale message of Paul Johnson, maybe it was the fact that they had overstayed their welcome with the triple option in Power 5 football, that's when Georgia Tech started to become irrelevant. So the recruiting, in my opinion, has gotten better. Uh, you know, to be the 27th class or even the 32nd with, with Jeff Collins, now it's about, is Jeff Collins a good developer? 
of talent. I think he's a really good recruiter, and you see that anytime on signing day when they interview him. He's a phenomenal recruiter, but is he going to be able to develop that talent and get more out of it than another coach? And I think only time will tell. I like Jeff Collins. I think that he was the right hire. He got the program uh, rolling the right direction again, but they've got to be more competitive in big games. Yeah, recruiting-wise, they're doing pretty good for Georgia Tech. They're not doing good for who they're going up against, and their top competition in the ACC is going to be Clemson and potentially Notre Dame if they stay, which I don't think is going to happen. But I think what Jeff Collins has to do to get that team rolling and to get them competing with teams like Clemson and Notre Dame is build a team around Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs for the next two years because those guys, they're not – Jeff Sims in particular, I don't think he's great – but I think he can be. He's got the he's got the build for it. He's got the arm. He's got he's exactly what you want in a spread type quarterback, especially when you're switching over from the triple option. And Jameer Gibbs is an absolute stud. Every time I watch Georgia Tech, he seems to be going off. He always goes for like over 180 yards. He's fantastic. I think if they could build an offense around them, you get that spread offense going. I could see them potentially being as good as a team like Coastal Carolina or like uh, uh, Louisiana where they're using that new spread system to start beating or start winning games around teams that won't switch to an offense like that and, and uh, develop their offense like like a Boston College or like a Pitt. I think they could start beating those teams. And once they start beating those teams, they'll start to compete for ACC championships and maybe even start to compete with Clemson. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the next question. Next question is from at Edwin underscore Cook underscore 19. And uh, his question is, is Ian Book underrated? Should he be in Heisman contention? Yes. Yes, Ian Book is underrated. And this is this, what I'm about to say is going to drive Matt nuts. But yes, Ian Book should be in, in Heisman contention. Because if you watch him play play these football games, he is like Houdini. He is mobile. He gets out of sacks. He can make every throw. He, he He's a lot like Trevor Lawrence. He, he is the key that makes Notre Dame what they are on offense. And if you ask me... I think that Ian Book is a better Heisman contender than than Mac Jones because of what he does for that offense. If you take Ian Book out of that offense, Notre Dame is not good, period. Well, obviously I disagree because, one, you slandered my boy Mac Jones. Never slander the Joker. But also, just I'm going to go back to a point that Witt made uh, with, with Tua and Kyler Murray. Straight up numbers. And if you look at Ian Book's numbers, he is A.J. McCarron in 2013. Uh, A.J. McCarron threw for uh, like 2,900 yards, 30 touchdowns, three picks. Uh, this is a weird year, so obviously Ian Book's not going to get those same numbers. He's, I think he's like 1,200 yards, uh, almost 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, one pick. Uh, that's not going to cut it when you look at guys like Kyle Trask and what he's doing, when you look at guys like Mac Jones and what he's doing, and then when you look at guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and what he's doing, what they're doing. Uh, is Ian Book a good quarterback? Sure. Yeah, I, I think he is a good quarterback. Is in a, in a different year, would he probably be in the Heisman contention? Yes. Uh, this year, if you compare him to the other quarterbacks, statistically, he's not even in the top three. So there you go. So once again, we're back on this topic, and I'm, I'm just going to make this short. Does the eye test mean nothing to you guys? Is it all about numbers and stats? Is, is is that is that is that what the Heisman's all is all about now is is numbers you you can't just just look at a guy and compare him to another guy and be like man that guy is really 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 freaking good and he is doing 
everything for this offense compared to this guy who doesn't have to do so much. He just has to do what he has to do in order in order for this offense to go. I mean, the eye test matters, but is it as definitive as numbers? Usually, I would yes. I would agree with that, Matt. I'd say numbers are a big factor that should determine who wins player of the year. But in a year like this, I think eye test should mean more than numbers just because of the fact of like teams aren't going to play as many games as other teams, like I was saying earlier. Um, but I think the reason that Ian Book is not putting up those numbers is because Notre Dame is a run-first team. And honestly, until the Clemson game, they really weren't taking advantage of what Ian Book has to offer in that offense. They were, they were running the ball. They didn't have to really throw the ball. Um, and then when they got to play Clemson, they can't just run the ball against Clemson's defensive line. They had to start throwing the ball and taking advantage of their weaker secondary. So once they started doing that, Ian Book really started to shine. The past couple of games, he's played a lot better than he has the first the first couple of games of the season. And people are actually starting to notice that he's actually a pretty good player. Um, I compare Ian Book to a guy like Russell Wilson, who is in an offense. He's, he's the same way. He's in an offense that kind of runs through Chris Carson or ran through Marshawn Lynch when he was there uh, under Pete Carroll, where they their main their main point in, of emphasis is to try and run the ball. And then they use the run game to open up Russell Wilson's passing game. Uh, this year, it's been a little bit different for Russell Wilson, and I think it started to look a little bit different for Ian Book, too. And uh, with that, we'll move on to the next question. This one will probably be pretty quick because we kind of already talked about it, but it's from at Ryan Zinsmeyer, and his question is, should a 5-0 and Ohio State team make the playoff? No. No, but the committee will put them in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they should either. I don't think a 5-0 and team should. If they go... I mean, personally, I don't think a team that plays less than eight games should even be considered... But I understand why they will be, and that's because of the eye test and because Ohio State Ohio State playing a team like Alabama or Ohio State playing a team like Clemson or Notre Dame is going to bring in a lot more money than a team like Cincinnati playing one of those teams. So I think there's a good chance they will make it, even if they do go 5-0, and but I think that they should not. Uh, that's the end of the mailbag. We will move on to our pour one out, cut them off segment. Lando, you're first up. All right, so this week I am pouring one out for the safety advancements in auto racing. Over the weekend uh, at uh, Bahrain for the Formula One Championship, uh, we saw a really, really nasty crash uh, that involved Romain Grosjean, who uh, crashed his car into the side walling, if you want to call it, the the guard railing, and his car was cut completely in half. Uh, He went with the front portion of his car into the railing, and the car burst into flames. And he had to crawl out of the fire, undo the seatbelts, and had to be pulled from the fire from his burning car. Uh, a couple years ago, Formula One um, put on a new piece to their car, just called the Halo. It basically protects the driver's head and neck area and pretty much saved Roman Grosjean's life uh, over the weekend. So I am really uh, happy with what auto racing has done in terms of safety for their drivers because uh, auto racing is is a very dangerous sport and having these safety advancements have really saved a lot of lives. So a big shout out to Formula One and auto racing for the things they've done in safety. And uh, this week I'm cutting off MVP and Heisman awards because they are quarterback awards. Uh, As we see in the NFL, uh, the only people that are being even talked about for the MVP are quarterbacks such as Pat Mahomes or uh, players like that. When in reality, I think a person like Derrick Henry should be considered for the MVP because he is an absolute monster. Tennessee, the Tennessee Titans are not the team they are unless they hand the ball to Derrick Henry 30 times a game. 
And teams on the opposite end know that Derrick Henry is going to get the ball and they still can't do a damn thing about it. So I am cutting off MVP and Heisman's, Heisman awards because uh, we need to start looking at other players like running backs or even defensive backs who, who are just doing everything they can to, to stop receivers or who are returning kicks and doing other things for the team. So that's what I'm doing this week. Uh, Matt, who are you pulling out for? Shout out Derrick Henry, built by Bama. So I am pouring one out for Georgia Southern kickers. Uh, over the weekend, Young Wei Koo uh, became second all-time in points scored in a game by a kicker, breaking third place now, who was in second place, Tyler Bass, for points scored in a game by a kicker, another former Georgia Southern kicker. And first place on that list in 2007, another former Georgia Southern kicker, Rob Baronis, uh, who still holds the record, RIP Rob Baronis, uh, with 26 points scored in one NFL game. So Young Way Koo with, I believe it was 19 this past weekend, uh, breaking Tyler Bass's 18. So uh, pouring one out there for Georgia Southern kickers. Killing it on my fantasy teams. Oh, love it, love it. And I am cutting off the Pac-12's playoff chances. So uh, if you... Didn't watch any football this past weekend or have been out of the loop. USC had to cancel a game on Thursday due to COVID. So now I believe they're only going to be able to play five or six games. Um, And Oregon lost to Oregon State in the Civil War. Be that as it may, Oregon has now eliminated themselves from playoff contention and USC's COVID issues. They may have to cancel another game this weekend. Even if they don't, I think that with the Pac-12 playing as few games as they already were, with no makeup dates in mind, has uh, essentially eliminated itself from playoff contention. So cutting off the Pac-12's playoff hopes. And see you next year, Pac-12. Maybe we can break the streak of years going uh, without making a playoff. Wit, what you got? Yeah, so this week I'm pouring one out for Jarrett Patterson, the running back from Buffalo. Uh, he went for 409 yards rushing and eight touchdowns this week, averaging 11.4 yards per carry. Just an absolute domination of a game. Um, he's absolutely fantastic. I talked to a couple of guys who uh, do some writing for some NFL draft sites, and they're saying he's really starting to rise up some board. So uh, he's one guy He's one guy you guys might want to look out for um, as a potential first-round pick in uh, this year's draft. And uh, I'm going to be cutting off Gus Malzahn. In Tuscaloosa, uh, because he's 0-4, he's been outscored 179-90. to 90. Uh, It's never been less than a double-digit game. And, I mean, honestly, I think his career in Auburn is really coming to an end because of the way that, um, even though he's beaten Alabama a couple times in Auburn with a couple of magical games, um, he's really not performed well against Alabama. And uh, I think that's the way that people look at, or that's the way that the Auburn fan base uh, judges their coaches, and I don't think he's going to be around for much longer. Uh, Keys, you pouring, pouring one out for somebody this week? Yeah, I'm actually going to pour one out for Sarah Fuller this week. She became the first woman to play in a Power 5 college football game this week, and I was really hoping to get to see her kick a field goal, but unfortunately she does play for Vanderbilt, so they really didn't even give her a glimpse of opportunity to even get a, a field goal or a PAT. And I, I saw a lot of hate online about her kick, and uh, that was a design squib kick. I think anybody who really knows football IQ knew that. But it was just kind of sad to see a bunch of hate about that. Um, she did exactly what the coaches told her to do. So she kicked it right where she was supposed to. Uh, but I still wish I got to see her score some points. You know, it is still a great moment. I know Lando and I, we actually stopped our workout to watch that moment live. Um, so that was great to see. And I'm going to cut off, actually, 
all of our Georgia Southern Eagles, just as a whole, the coaching, player decisions. I know we, um, Wesley Kennedy was arrested last week uh, along with one other player. Coach Lunsford, just you know, he's he's a great guy. I, I really respect him as a man, and he's not a bad coach. It's just you know, it's it's not really progressing the team very far at this point. Um, in a four loss season for Georgia Southern is basically like a death sentence in the eyes of the alumni, as we saw with um, Tyson Summers a couple of years ago. And, and hopefully, you know, maybe maybe he can figure something out. But unfortunately, if he doesn't, I, I see there being a big change there at Georgia Southern soon because you cannot develop a losing culture there. That's just not one thing that's going to be allowed to happen. Yeah, I think uh, after this past weekend, we're all we're all cutting off the Georgia Southern Eagles. It is just unacceptable to lose to Georgia State. Uh, and with that, we'll move on to our locks of the week. Uh, Lando, you got the first lock of the week. All right, so my lock of the week this week is going to be Texas A&M over Auburn. Texas A&M is the fifth-ranked team in the country, and Auburn is just not very good. So I have Texas A&M over Auburn. Matt, who you got? So I'm going back to my older, old-school ways of picking a game that's supposed to be pretty close. And I'm going with Arizona State playing in their first game in three weeks over UCLA. Uh, They're a three-point favorite. They're at home. I want to see the Hermanators pull one out and uh, get back to their winning ways. I love Herm Edwards. Uh, Really, really like what he's done with that program so far. So I am going Arizona State over UCLA. Wit, what's your lock of the week? Obviously, you guys know I always like to go with uh, either upsets or just picking Iowa for some reason. But this week, I'm taking Tennessee to beat Florida. Uh, that's that's going to be my big upset of the week. Uh, I actually picked it before the season started, and I'm definitely less confident in it than I was uh, before the season started. But I'm, I'm still going to roll with it. I think that if Harrison Bailey starts this game – Tennessee is a completely different team than they've looked this year. I think a lot of times you can look back at some of these games, and Tennessee comes out firing. They come out playing really good football. They run the ball really well, um, and then they get down, and they have to start going into the passing game, and they let Jerry Garantano throw the ball a little bit too much, and he starts throwing those pick sixes. He starts overthrowing guys, and he just ends up losing them games. So I think if Harrison Bailey comes in, starts this game, and uh, looks as good as I think he is going to look, I think Tennessee has a really good shot of knocking off Florida. Uh, Keys, who's your lock of the week? So this week, I've got the Raging Cajuns against the Mountaineers, App State versus Louisiana. Uh, ESPN actually has Louisiana losing this game. I don't think so. I voted for uh, App State to beat, who was it a couple weeks ago, uh, the Chanticleers, and I was proven wrong. So this week, I, I'm actually going to go with the Raging Cajuns, uh, and I think it still will be a close one. These are two pretty high-scoring offenses. So I think that the Raging Cajuns win by three, by a field goal. That's going to be a great game, uh, especially for us Sunbelt fans. You know, we like to get into some of the Sunbelt games. But uh, yeah, we'll move on to our picks of the week. And as always, we start every week with our alma mater, the Georgia Southern football game. We got FAU coming into Paulson Stadium to take on our Eagles. Uh, Georgia Southern is a two and a half point favorite. Lando, who are you picking? Georgia Southern by a safety. Coach Lunford's seat is getting hot. Matt, who you got? You know, after the the heartbreak of the Army game and then the loss last week against uh, Georgia State, which is, is an emotional loss, I actually think that FAU is going to come in and they're going to beat the Eagles in a close one. I hate to – I never want to pick against the Eagles. When we picked this game earlier in the year, I, I think I picked Southern to win this game. It got canceled. Now with the way that, that Southern's been playing and I I – I just don't think that Southern's going to have the playmakers 
to to pull it off. I know it's it's tough to beat the Eags in Paulson. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to pick against the Eagles this week and go with FAU in an upset. Yeah, so as long as Georgia Southern has shy words playing in this game, I think they're going to win because Georgia Southern does not lose in Paulson Stadium. And after the loss last week and the blown win, I'm not even counting it as a loss, I count it as a blown win to Army, Georgia Southern needs to win this game. Chad Lungsford needs his team to win this game. And I know those players want to play for Chad Lungsford because they love him and he's a player's coach. So I'm picking the Eagles to win. I think it's going to be a really close game. I think they're going to win by five. Um, if Shywerts doesn't play, I completely change my pick. I pick FAU. But uh, obviously, I have to roll with one team, and I'm going to take Georgia Southern. And uh, without rolling to our next game, uh, we have our first SEC, SEC game of the week. Number five, Texas A&M, who is a seven-point favorite, heading into Jordan-Hare Stadium at Auburn. Uh, Lando, who are you picking? Yeah, so this pick was my lock of the week, so I have the Aggies winning. I have them winning by 10, so um, I think they're so much better than Auburn. I think Auburn's going to give them a little fight there, but it's not going to be enough. So I got uh, Texas A&M by 10. You know, I wanted to pick this as my upset of the week. Auburn-Texas A&M is always a really close game, and as inconsistent as Kellen Mond is, he can't be inconsistent against this Auburn team because for whatever reason, they show random spurts of offensive greatness, uh, like against LSU where they randomly come out and drop 48 against LSU. But I just refuse, because of my DNA, to pick Auburn to win this football game. So I'm going to go A&M, very similar to Lando. I think it's going to be close at first, but uh, A&M pulls off late. I got A&M by 17 in this one, Wit. So I know I took Tennessee to beat Florida as my upset uh, lock of the week. But honestly, I feel a little bit better about this pick than I do that one, and that's Auburn beating Texas A&M this week. Um, I think the War Eagle Tiger Plainsman and Bo Nix are much better at home, and uh, I'm still not buying Texas A&M as a team or as a contender this year. I know they're ranked number five, but I think all of that is uh, behind that win against Florida. And honestly, I think if Florida and Texas A&M played again today, I think uh, I think Florida would probably blow them out about about as bad as Alabama did. So. I'm going to take Auburn. I think they only win by like three, though. I think it's going to be a close game. And uh, we'll move into our Pac-12 game of the week. We have UCLA at Arizona State. Arizona State is a three-point favorite. UCLA upset. Matt. This is my lock of the week. I got Sparky. Yeah, I'm picking UCLA, too. Um, I'm actually surprised somebody else did because Arizona State has been playing pretty well this year. But Arizona State hasn't played since the first week that the Pac-12 has come back. Um uh, when they played against USC and UCLA has been rolling along. They're playing really well. Um, they almost beat Oregon two weeks ago. I think it'll be a close game, but I think uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, uh, who's the quarterback for UCLA, I think he's going to lead them to a win uh, on a game winning drive. And I think they're going to win by three. And with that, yeah, we'll get into our uh, first big 10 game of the week. We have the number four Ohio state Buckeyes. It's a 24 point favorite heading into East Lansing to take on Michigan state. Uh, Michigan State coming off a big win against Northwestern, who was ranked number seven last week. Lando, who are you picking? If Michigan State plays like they played on Saturday, it's going to be a close game. I'm going with the upset. I think they will play like they played on Saturday, and I think they're going to be coming in highly emotional. And Ohio State was off last week, so they're going to be not as uh, uh, in, in good a shape as they should be for this game. So I have Michigan State winning this game. I think if Michigan State plays like they did last week, they're still going to lose this game by 20 points. Ohio State's just too talented, too good uh, against a Michigan State team that's not very talented and not very good. Uh, Ohio State big. 
Yeah, I'm with you, Matt. Um, I think if this game is played, Ohio State's going to roll over Michigan State, um, as they have the rest of this uh, overrated Big Ten this year. Uh, they have to win these next couple games big to prove that they are unequivocally better than the teams uh, who played the real 10 to 12 game schedules and not just six games. So I think Ohio State's going to win this game really big. I think they win by at least 40. And uh, with that, we move into our second Big Ten game of the week. We have number 12, Indiana, at number 16, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is actually a 14-point favorite. Kind of surprised me a little bit, but I think I actually know why. Yeah, Indiana's quarterback is out for the season with a torn ACL, so I have Wisconsin covering. No Michael Penix. Uh, I don't see any way that that Wisconsin loses this game, if I'm being honest. I know Indiana's secondary is pretty good. I just think Wisconsin is going to roll in. Uh, they're going to be on a mission to get some revenge from for losing a game against Northwestern. Uh, I've got Badgers by 13. Uh, so I actually picked this game uh, just in my notes before Michael Penix was for sure rolled out for the rest of the year. Um, I had a feeling he'd be hurt, but I, I thought he might actually would get to play. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to say I, I said Wisconsin before, and I'm going to say Wisconsin by even more now. Obviously, without Penix in there, I have no idea who's going to be playing quarterback for Indiana this weekend. I don't know who their backup is. Um, I know they had Peyton Ramsey last year who um, ended up starting most of the games because of Penix being injured, but now he's at Northwestern. Um, Obviously, he beat Wisconsin last time they played, so you know maybe Indiana's kind of wishing they would have kept him around. But uh, I think Wisconsin is going to learn from their loss to Northwestern. I think their defense is going to play up to the way that their defense should be playing and how they usually play every year. So... I think Wisconsin's going to win this game, and I think they're going to win by at least 10. And uh, with that, we move into our game of the week, our SEC game of the week. We have the number one Alabama Crimson Tide as a 29.5 point favorite at LSU in Death Valley. Landa, who are you picking? Roll Tide. Huge. Bama, big. I think this game means a lot more to Alabama than I think LSU fans want it to mean for Alabama because of the way that they acted after they beat us last year. Uh, I mean, Ed Orgeron celebrated that game more than he celebrated the national championship, and it was in Alabama. Nick Saban said, they, they interviewed him, they asked him about revenge games. He said, we play very few of those. But he almost implied that this is one of those games that they want a lot, the players are hungry, and LSU's down. Uh, Coach O is trying to make it a big game for LSU. I think they might come out jacked up. That LSU offense looked horrible last week against Texas A&M. I went back and watched a good chunk of that game. Alabama by 30, and I'm confident in it this week. Alabama blows them out, and I hope we, I hope we beat them by 60. Yep, I'm taking Alabama. Nick Saban does not lose revenge games unless they're too Ole Miss. And uh, if Terrence Marshall and Miles Brennan were act- were playing in this game, uh, Miles Brennan has been hurt for most of the season, and Terrence Marshall, who was leading the le- or I think he's I think he was second in the league actually in the SEC in passing yards, opted out this week after um, after their loss this past weekend, and I think that right there tells you that there's just no chance for this LSU team. I think if they were playing, I might would say there might be a small chance of an upset because the game's in Death Valley. It's an 8 p.m. kickoff Eastern time. Um, and, you know, historically that's tough, but this LSU team just is not what it was last year, and it, it's not what it usually is. So um, I'm going to take Bama. I think they're going to win by 45. I think Mac Jones is 
is going to go for like 500 yards and six touchdowns. So we actually have a non-football mailbag this week because we had a couple questions that had nothing to do with football, but we thought we'd throw them in here anyway. So uh, our first one is from at Kistler underscore 106. He had another question earlier. Uh, For the boys at ATK, what are y'all's favorite 2000 rap songs? International Players Anthem by UGK is a quality hit in my book. I'm also a big fan of 21 Questions by 50 Cent. And uh, those are probably my top two 2000s rap songs. Uh, You know, International Players Anthem is one of my favorite rap songs of all time, just because it's it reminds me of my childhood. It's nostalgic for me, and uh, you know, still to this day, I can rap every word to that song. And when it comes on, I just get good vibes. So those are those are two of my favorite. Uh, reaching back any deeper than that, I'm trying to think of other 2000 rap songs that really just just get me going. I guess you know another one that I was a big fan of, Holiday Inn by Chingy, with uh, featuring Snoop Dogg. Uh, and Ludacris, I, I was a big fan of of that song as well. And Rollout by Ludacris, those are the top top four right there. That's that's uh, I'll go with those. Are my top four two thousands rap songs. I think my top two thousands rap song is it's got to be Miss Jackson by Outkast. That's a fantastic two thousands rap song. I love it. They play it all the time now, even at bars. Like I'll go out to it in Nashville every so often. You'll hear it. It's a great jam. I mean, it's awesome. It's a good. It's a song you can play with the windows down, rolling around in the car. It's a song you can play in the club. So, I think Miss Jackson's probably my favorite. But you know, you got to pick one from the album of the two thousands, and that's Get Rich or Die Trying, uh, Fifty Cent's top album. Um, and my favorite song from that album is Into Club. That's a great song. Um, I love being into club, and so does Fifty Cent. So. Even though I, those, I don't really know much 2000s rap, but the, from what I do know, I'd say those are my two favorites. Also uh, a big fan of Mini Men from that album. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Matt. And for me, this, this is it's pretty difficult, but hard to choose just one. But for me, it'd probably be put on by Young Wheezy featuring Kanye West. Because that's a, that's a great song. I like that song. Young Jeezy? Dude, for some reason, like my love of 2000s rap is like, basically anything you'd hear in like a skating rink i don't that's i have apparently terrible taste in 2000s rap music uh i was always more of like a rock guy but uh i love hey ya by outcast as well wit do i do like a lot of outcast and obviously eminem first i love eminem for some reason i still do and i think he's always been good so i think uh lose yourself was one of my favorite ones from then i swear i heard that every day on our high school coaches uh workout playlist as well Oh, that's a timeless hit. Timeless hit. I'm a huge, weirdly enough, I am a massive, massive, like, 90s and 2000s rap fan. So when we got this question, I was very excited about that because, like, I had to think. When Matt Howell was 10 years old and listening to edited hits because his mom would not let him listen to explicit hits because he grew up in a very Christian household, what would Matt Howell be listening to and? Definitely international players anthem. Twenty one questions roll out. Does Toby Mac count as two thousands rap? Toby Mac. (laughs) Toby Mac. (laughs) Lecrae, baby, Lecrae. For for you and me, Matt, it does. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Those are all. Those are all great hits. Um, We'll move on to our next question. We have another one from at Kissler underscore one hundred six, and he wants to know: Is Moe's fast food? What do y'all think? Uh, yeah, Moe's fast food. 
yeah, they make your food. They they make your food in front of you pretty much, but it's I still consider that fast food. I disagree wholeheartedly. Y'all are absolutely cutting out fast casual as a food option. It is Moe's is fast casual. You walk in, they have food that is freshly prepared. Fast food is like, oh hey, we cooked this burger two hours ago and it's been sitting under a heat lamp. And here you go. Moe's is more freshly prepared. And you go in and you select your items. It's not fast food. So is Subway fast food? I really don't know. I mean, I've, I've had to ponder uh, on that because it does discredit the idea that Moe's is not fast food if, if Subway is not fast food. But I feel like Subway is the, the lesser of, of sub chains. And so I put them into the category as fast food where I don't put sub places like Jersey Mike's and Firehouse. This whole fast casual category that you just made up out the air. So that would put Wendy's as fast casual because, you know, Wendy's use, uses fresh, never frozen beef. And that would also put McDonald's as fast casual because when they make your double quarter pounder, they make it fresh right on the spot. Nah, man, because sometimes you get that one burger, you know, has been sitting there for like an hour. You get it. You taste the bread. It's stale. You're like, what is this? And sometimes you go to Wendy's, you'll get that burger that slaps. So it, it that's fast food. Moe's is fast food. Subway is fast food. It's all fast food. I've seen a Moe's with a drive through. I think I'm changing my cutting off of the week and I'm cutting off fast casual. That is not a category. Cutting off fast casual. It's fast food or it's not fast food. And if you say Subway is fast food, then Moe's is fast food. If you say Subway is not fast food, then Moe's is not fast food. It all depends on how you define fast food. Some people define it by having a drive-thru. Investopedia. Look it up. I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I define fast food as whether or not I sign a check. I can't think of anywhere that I would say is not fast food. That you sign a check? Yeah, like you, you get you get a bill at the end. You, you, you sign it and you give a tip. Ah. Uh. I'm not talking so, about like when you're at the it's the register. Like I'm talking like maybe like maybe like a waiter. Anything without a waiter. Yeah, I still don't believe in fast casual. But either way, we're moving on. Uh, we have another fast food question from at Chad's underscore five two nine, and his question is, "What are y'all's favorite and least favorite fast food places?" Oh, my favorite is definitely Five Guys, hands down. Five Guys is the goat when it comes to burgers. Five Guys is not You're fast gonna food. You're going to get mad off on... I See, I knew it. You're going to get mad all started because you said Five Guys. He doesn't believe that's fast food. <laughs> no. Fast casual. Hey, for this question, you're allowed to define your own fast food. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I, will, I will accept that. If, if Lando wants to call uh, Five Guys <laughs> fast food, he may do that. So for me, my favorite fast food place, the way I define fast food place is I think that it has to have a drive-thru that is what i think fast food is if it has a drive-thru it's fast food that's it that's my that's the way i look at it i know it might not be a popular opinion that's it for me like i say i say subway's not fast food i say moe's isn't fast food if you're gonna say one or the other's fast food you gotta say the other one is but i'm gonna say that if if, if it has a drive-thru it's fast food and my favorite fast food place is chick-fil-a and probably because i was born in atlanta i had a chick-fil-a I had maybe six or seven Chick-fil-A's within five minutes of me, of my of, of my parents' house. I used to go all the time, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whenever. Chick-fil-A always got it done for me. It still gets it done for me. So that's definitely my favorite. I'd say my least favorite, that's pretty tough. I'll be honest, I've kind of grown out of McDonald's lately, even though it's got some good deals. 
But, you know, Burger King's got better deals than McDonald's, and I think Burger King tastes a little bit better than McDonald's as well. So I'm going to say McDonald's is my least favorite. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Wit. Uh, unless I'm getting McDonald's breakfast, I am, I'm not a big fan of McDonald's uh, in terms of fast food. It's because it's fresh. Fresher. Screw COVID for taking away all day McDonald's breakfast, by the way. McDonald's really messed itself up by doing away with the all-day breakfast because I was really enjoying going to McDonald's, even on especially later at night and stuff like that. So I could go get me like a, a sausage biscuit, a buttermilk crispy chicken biscuit, sausage McGriddle, something some, some good, you know, something that tastes a lot better than a, than a crappy old soggy hamburger like they have or they have good fries. But besides that, you know, they, their, their lunch and dinner just really isn't great. McDonald's breakfast is a lot better. I, I love McDonald's for what it is, but their ice cream machine's always broken, and that makes me sad. Now, I'm with Wit. Favorite fast food place is Chick-fil-A, with Taco Bell being a very close second. I love Taco Bell. Cheesy Gordy to Crunch is a phenomenal, phenomenal option. Um, I, 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 I'm sad they did away with the fried potato bowls, because those things were delicious. Uh, you know, I've I've... I've meandered the menu at taco bell and i've yet to have anything that i said nah disappointed i i I love taco bell mexican pizza's overrated though oh i mean i I don't think they even have the mexican pizza anymore i think they got away that was one of the the items they did away with everyone was sad about the mexican pizza going away mainly because they're gonna miss seeing it sitting on the menu and saying oh i'm not gonna order that because everything else was infinitely better than the mexican pizza but if we're going by fast food places, as Lando defines them, Waffle House is my favorite fast food restaurant. Waffle House is fantastic. So, 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 so that is where I draw the line. Okay, Waffle House is not fast food. You sit down at Waffle House and 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 and, and you have a waiter. You have a waiter. You have you, somebody waits on you at Waffle House. That is a restaurant. You don't have to. You can walk up and order, and they'll cook it for you right there, and you take it to go. Just like just like Five Guys. But 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 when you go to Moe's, okay, when you go to Moe's, it, it, there is there is no option for for somebody to, to come to your table and be like, hey, here, I'm I'm gonna set I'm gonna set your utensils down. What do you want to drink? Do, do uh, what do you want to eat? Hand you menus? They don't do that, okay. At Waffle House, they do that. Oh, I don't know. I mean, uh, most of the time, their your menus are already on the table, and I'd say half the time the the they when they, when they see you walk up, they've already got the bar with the utensils up there. So you know you. You walk in, or you walk into Waffle House. You go order. They cook it for you, and and they give it to you to go, just like a Five Guys. I mean, you know, like I just said, there's no option for for you at Five Guys to go sit down and have somebody, a waitress or a waiter, come to your table and wait on you, and and and, and you have to tip them. There's no option for that at Waffle House. There's an option for that. You, you go and sit down at one of their designated booths or tables. Somebody comes. What do you want? What do you want to drink? What do you want to drink? What do you want? That that is a restaurant. Well, they're all restaurants. I bet you think that Chili's to go is also fast casual. I was just about to say that. Chili's is fine dining, and if anyone disagrees, you're wrong. <laughs> One thing we can all agree on on this podcast. Well, guys, that's our show. Uh, thank you guys for coming and listening. As always, we appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show, and we'll be happy to include as much as we can. Uh, But for now, have a great week. See y'all.
can't close Yellow suitcase by the door But you said that this could be all for the best We can be friends, let's get lunch Or at least let's keep in touch But if we don't have what we had before Then I want nothing And I don't think that I can do this anymore Because I... Cause I 